Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We ended up with the boat fully upside down, sinking and on fire simultaneously. And we had a, a safety diver who wanted to go into dive into the front of the boat. You're going to really risk, risk someone's life over saving a boat. 170 plus years later, it's just had the, the most amazing history of, of intrigue, espionage, technology. It's really drawn in the most incredible list of of successful business people, syndicates of, 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 of business people that are inspired by and want to win the America's Cup. With less than a year to go, is it too early to say if you can win it or not? Well, this is all a bit weird because it's eight o'clock UK time in the evening, my end, nine o'clock Barcelona time, your end. We haven't spoken all day. <laughs> and the first time we're speaking to each other is down the line in a podcast chat. <laughs> Feels like we've got something wrong with our relationship that we need to sort out and address immediately. Well, we'll do it in half an hour after the podcast. <laughs> um, but the point is we can't... Whatever, we, whatever, we, it, whatever it takes. Yeah, well, we thought we'd have a, a, a brilliant high-profile guest on this week, but it, we've had a dropout, which is completely understandable. This this happens in life. Um, so instead, we thought, well, what can we talk about? I know we can talk to you and um, discuss the fact that we're only a year away from the America's Cup, which feels quite daunting now because we keep talking about it going on and on and on, but now it's almost here. Um, so we can talk about that. Um, and it'd be interesting, I suppose, to start by explaining what the hell it is because you and I know what it is and the sailing audience knows what it is but performance people might not necessarily in their numbers know what it is and they'd be forgiven for doing so because it's a bit random as a competition um, and it has had this sort of elitist tag um, stapled to it for 173 odd years so just just debunk demystify what is the America's Cup for people that don't know well, well, first I've got to take issue with Cristiano for not fronting up for the for the pod. I don't know what he thinks he's doing in Saudi Arabia, but anyway, <laughs> next time. <We> wish. But <laughs> 
to to answer your question, the America's Cup, yeah, it is the most incredible event. It really is, and the history of the of the event started in 1851. It was a race around the Isle of Wight, and the wealthy yacht owners from the Royal Yacht Squadron had a had a, an annual competition, and then a, a team were invited across by Prince Albert to as part of the Royal Exhibition of 1851 to to come and compete in in this annual regatta around the Isle of Wight. And of course, the American boat came and trounced. I think it was fifteen of the of the local yachts, and and famously won this cup, which was called the, the hundred pound cup or the hundred guineas cup. There's a lot of conjecture around what it was actually called originally. Nevertheless, as Amer- only Americans can do, took it back to New York Harbor and renamed it the America's Cup, and that's where the history of, of the cup really started. And 170 plus years later, it's just had the, the most amazing history of, of intrigue, espionage, technology. And it's, it's really drawn in the most incredible list of, of, of successful business people, syndicates of, 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 of business people that are inspired by and want to win the america's cup so yeah it's a it's a it's a very intriguing competition we always talk about the fact that sport's so binary it is win or lose and there's no sort of gray area in the middle which is i think what makes it really attractive especially in a world at the moment in which we're living which is you know there's lots of gray um so this binary win or lose thing that sport has um in its armory is always is always really interesting but the but the thing that the cup has just to double down on that is this brilliant expression which there is no second which i love and I was I was looking at it earlier in terms of where that came from, that saying there is no second. And it's got its own little backstory, hasn't it? Um, which involves Queen Victoria and um and the fleet of boats as they passed on the sort of home straight past the Royal Yacht Squadron in front of in front of um the Royal Yacht Squadron in Cows in eighteen fifty one and she turned to the steward or whoever it was next to her and said where I've actually got it in front of me. She said, say signal master, are the yachts in sight? And he said, yes, may it please your majesty. And she said, which is first? And he said, the America. And she said, which is second? And he said, oh, your majesty, there is no second. I mean, it is brutal, isn't it? It's supposed to be this friendly competition, but it's anything but friendly. Yeah, there's not, I mean, originally it was a friendly competition between yacht clubs. That's what the the deed of gift, which was settled under the New York Supreme Court, ultimately by by a gentleman called George Shiler. That's in a way that that's what has kept the America's Cup so prevalent through all these years is that it was, and still is a a, a friendly competition between yacht clubs. But as you say, it's anything but. It's the one of the most cutthroat sporting competitions or undertakings that that you could you could ever take on because the winner effectively writes the rules and that makes it incredibly difficult to win if you have a defender as we call it in the america's cup a winner or a defender that has really got their act together then they're in the hot seat and trying to dislodge them is just about as difficult sporting challenge as you'll ever find 
So if it's almost impossible to win, why bother trying? Good question. Good question. For us, well, as a British team, it's, it's about the history, the fact that we've never won it. I mean, it's the only major sporting trophy that Britain has never won. It's, of course, it's the oldest international sporting trophy. We're a very proud maritime nation. Of course we are. Everyone in the team is hugely motivated by that challenge, that desire to, to win the cup, be the first team to win the cup for Britain and bring it back where it started. I mean, that would be such a huge story in British sporting history and British maritime history. And what would it mean for you to win it with a British flag flying on the boat? Because you won it for the Oracle team back in 2013. That in itself is a whole other podcast on this, on that greatest comeback of, of all time, which it really was staggering. Um, and that's a whole other thing to, to discuss another time. But, but in terms of what it would mean with a British flag, British flag flying, Jim as the benefactor, British billionaire backing it, you know, what, what would that look like? Yeah, that, look, that would, that would be huge. And, I mean, for every, as I said, for everyone in the team, Jim included, and, you know, Jim, Jim, John and Andy, who are the, who are the three partners of Ineos, have made a huge investment into the team because they share that, that passion and also the challenge. You look at Jim in particular, there's an individual who the harder the challenge, the more he is enticed by that. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's sport or business or climbing mountains. you know, he he just loves a challenge and, and it doesn't get any tougher than the America's Cup. So that's, you know, really ultimately the reason why why he, he's supporting the team. But in terms of doing something valuable for for Britain, from a, both a sporting standpoint, but also I think from, you know, just, I mean, you know, we've had a tough time as a nation in the last 10 years with one or two major political shuffles that have that that have either gone your way or against your way depending on on what your stance is but it's it's been it's not been an easy time for britain and we've seen some amazing sporting successes if you look at the lionesses for example and you know the cricket team and you know many other um you know olympic olympic teams you know really representing Britain at the highest level and, and getting success. The America's Cup, I think, with the history of the event, if we can be successful in that, that would be a great achievement for British sport, but Britain in general. One of the crazy things about the Cup is the defender doesn't really, they feature in this preliminary regatta phase, but they don't really feature again then until the actual cup match itself, the final. So this competition starts next year in Barcelona in August. And to take on the Kiwis, the challengers have got to get through, compete and scrap around with each other until that cup match where the challenger who ultimately beats all other challengers goes on to face the defender, the Kiwis who it is currently, who are the holders, who are going for a three-peat, which has never happened in America's Cup history. So they've got plenty of motivation to to win again. Um, But 
this this challenger series that happens before that time um just talk through the teams that you're up against because there's such kind of caliber and there's such credibility with with each of those teams and what they bring to the party and maybe let's start with our own team and then we'll take each of them on individual merit so let's start with you know how we're set up to compete and the main key players in our organization um and what we've got in our armory what we're sort of taking to the party yeah, okay. So we're in EOS Britannia. We're, we're effectively a third generation team now in the America's Cup. It's the first time, well, since Thomas Lipton that we've had three consecutive campaigns for a British team. And, and the America's Cup continuity counts for a lot because you have to develop the, the, the people, of course, but also in modern day design, certainly America's Cup design, Formula One design. Um, you know technical sports your simulation tools that you develop are absolutely critical to the end end result and that that does take time to develop those and to be able to um effectively um ensure that those those simulations are accurate it takes a lot of time so that that's a big deal for our team we also have this incredible partnership with mercedes formula one team who've come in in a major way to support us on and off the water and certainly to help lead the design, the technical team with, uh, you know, expertise and resource. And if you look at people like James Allison, there is an incredibly successful Formula One designer engineer who's a major part of leading our America's Cup technical team. You know, that, those are the sort of individuals that are involved. And that's, you know, we hope really going to help us um, make that jump forward and be able to take on the Kiwis. But, you know, time will tell just how much we're able to tap into that Formula One resource and, and optimize that and make the most out of that. The other team using Formula One resources are Lingi. So Ernesto Bertarelli's back. Um, having been, I think, was he the... Was he the only team, his t Lingi team, the only team to win at the first time of asking when they won their first campaign? They've won two previously, right? That's right. I mean, Ernesto Bertarelli, you've got to hand it to him. He's got an incredible history in the America's Cup. To and great be dress sense. First team. <laughs> <laughs> he always I, looks I impeccably like How would I know? <laughs> How, how, how would I know? You might be able to comment on that. I possibly couldn't. <laughs> um, but incredible success in the America's Cup. As you say, first team to turn up, pitch up first time around and win it. And very, very smart, effectively hired the key talent from the, the winning team, the winning New Zealand team, both sailing and design talent, brought that across and created a really strong outfit in, in Alinghi. Uh, won the cup in 2003 and then defended it again in 2007 in what was in modern America's cups up until, up until now in Barcelona, the most successful America's cup on and off the water in terms of what that did for Valencia, the number of teams, you know, had 10 teams for that event, huge turnout, commercially a real success. So Ernesto and his organization did a fantastic job really. For, for developing the America's Cup and you, you really have to give them credit for that. So they're now back after, after a hiatus of, you know, some 10 years roughly 
and they're going to be a strong outfit because they know they clearly know how to win it. They've got a really talented young Swiss team, sailing team, and they brought in some really experienced America's Cup design talent. And and you know the Swiss, the sort of old adage of, of Swiss timing and and Swiss accuracy, you know, that's without a shadow of doubt they're going to be they're going to be an impressive outfit and they could well surprise a lot of us. Yeah, and of course they're working with Red Bull Racing, so that's going to count for something as well. And there'll be natural comparisons made against your setup and their setup, no doubt, with the Formula One inputs from both. What about the Americans? Because the Americans always bring everything, all guns are blazing to the party. So um, they obviously had a capitulation last time out and the, the boat completely collapsed um, and they had a horrible capsize um, and never really got back on track, did they, um, after that um, incident in New Zealand. So they're back for this event. Um, Terry Hutchinson's still running the show there. Uh, what, what do they, what do you think they're going to look like? Yeah, look, American Magic actually put together a really solid campaign for the last America's Cup and they were undone by, like you said, a really unfortunate Wimber Mark incident without getting too technical in sailing parlay where they, they, they had a couple of issues and completely pretty much wrote off the, off the boat and, yeah. and the campaign in, in, in one, one, one maneuver gone wrong. And that just like any other sport, you know, it, you're right on the, on the, on the edge of, of, you're right on the limit a lot of the time of pushing these boats and it doesn't, doesn't take much to go wrong and, and you can, you can you can effectively end end your campaign like that. So they were very unlucky in the last cup for for that was their first campaign as a new organisation. Although they they competed in other professional sailing circuits, that was the first time competing for the America's Cup, and they they did a really good job. And they've learned from that. They've you know got similar leadership, brought in a lot of of, of new talent. I guess most notably Thomas Lingsby. Who's come out of winning the, the, the last two or three seasons of Cell GP and is a, is a huge talent in the sport. So yeah, on and off the water, they've got a really strong outfit. Terry Hutchinson is a real solid campaigner and, you know, they, they've got a strong team. They're going to be a real, real force. Again, like Lingi, uh, like a lot of these teams, ourselves included, huge amounts is going to depend on how well we've done the technical piece. And then as a sailing team, how good a job can we do of optimizing the boat once it gets in the water and working with the design teams to figure out what's important to, to really get 100% out of, out of the yacht and the performance of the team. A couple of other teams, um, just to sort of finish up on, on the team's front. So you've got also the French, the Orient Express team, kind of a late entry, but you know, they're, they were punching in the preliminary regatta that we had recently. So, so what, what do you think they're going to be like? The French team, Orient Express, are very much the dark horses of this next cup because they've been very savvy. They've come in late, realised that they haven't got time to design a, a, a yacht themselves, and struck a pretty pretty incredible deal with the Kiwis whereby they, they they get the design package of Team New Zealand. Of course that helps Team New Zealand that's more income into their, their team, their organization to to fund the campaign. 
But for the French, they will get pretty much the full package. The big question for them is, can they get that on the water quickly enough to learn how to sail it in time for the Challenger Series? Because like you said earlier, the Kiwis will race in the preliminary regatta. They will race in the early rounds of the Challenger Series, but they've got a free pass to the final. The French have actually, you know, they're going to get the final. They're going to win the Challenger Series. Question is, can they get to grips with the boat early enough, quickly enough to really optimize, get the, get, get the, you know, full potential out of that boat? That, that's a big question mark with the French. But if they can do, and they've got a really talented young sailing team led by Quentin de, de la Pierre, if they can do, then they could, they could end up in the final. Okay. And finally, the Italians, who you can never dismiss because they always show up looking the part. Um, and they were the runners up last time. So what do you think their chances are and how hard they're going to be to beat? Yeah. They, another, you know, it always feels a bit awkward talking about your competition and, it might seem like I'm just trying to be nice about everyone, but gen- genuinely, they're, they're all incredibly strong teams. And Prado is a huge history in the America's Cup. Yes, they do always look good as well on and off the water, but they're, they're an impressive outfit with that history in the Cup. You know, they're well led. They've got a great design team, sailing team. You know, Jimmy Spithill, Francesco Bruni leading the sailing team and some really exciting new um, young, young Italian sailing talent, Olympic gold medalist join, joining the, the, the campaign. So they're going to be, they're going to be really tough to beat. And the, the thing I would say about Luna Rosa is that probably for, I would say the first campaign in a long time, they've actually, they said, you know what? We don't want to be the challenger of record. We don't want to really have much to do with the running of this competition. We're just going to keep our heads down and do our campaign, do what we think is right and get on with it. And that's, that's actually quite worrying because it means that <laughs> they probably are doing just that. And they, 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 they may well be working a few things out that the rest of us might have missed and doing a good job. So yeah, they, they, they're going to be tough. They're going to be a good yeah, team. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things they did do last time, and it's a bit like when the Kiwis turned up in Bermuda on bikes where everyone else was on arm grinders. Um, the, the, Prada Italian team turned up last time as a twin helm, which is now what everyone's doing. So just, just yeah. let's just talk about that for a moment. The idea that you're now going to be um, twin helming with Giles um, on the other side of the boat. So how does that work? How do you sort of, does one person lead and the other person follow or do you share the responsibilities? I mean, how do you divvy up the workload so that you get the best out of yourselves, the team and the boat? Yeah, it's a good question, you know, and it's, and it's not just Jars and myself, you know, the whole, the whole boat will be split tack to tack and some of the other roles they might be doing, we don't know yet, ultimately, they might be doing a, a particular role on one tack and I might switch when the boat turns through the wind and ends up on another tack. We've got to figure that out. In terms of who takes the lead, it, it, it actually becomes quite clear and, and, you know, the, the people that sail on these boats will, I know what I'm talking about that, you know, the, the boats are so difficult to sail that you're, you only have so much bandwidth when you're on a, on a particular tack. It's pretty clear ultimately who's making the decisions and the communication needs to be really clear between, you know, the, the decision makers on board the boat and the people that are, 
you know, either steering the boat or trimming the boat or, 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 or flying the boat. And, you know, once you sort of figure that out and get that communication going, then it, then it sort of flows, but it, it does require a good relationship, a really, a really strong relationship with everyone on board the boat, because that choreography is absolutely key. If one person misses their beat and doesn't quite make that adjustment to the boat at a critical time, then that can cost you not 10 meters. It could cost you a couple of hundred meters. I mean, that the, it's that brutal, really the performance of these boats. They're going so fast, you know, they're, you know, they're going to be sitting at around 50 knots of boat speed quite regularly in this next America's cup. And if you are ever so slightly off your, your performance targets, you're going to be losing a, a huge amount of distance. So yeah, it's a big team effort. And just talk through what it's like to step onto it. Someone says to me the other day, or oh, do you ever get nervous watching, watching Ben on these boats? I said, actually, I don't get nervous when you're in the competition. Cause I feel by that point, you've kind of got it nailed. You know what? It's going to happen. You've got some sort of reading of what the boat can or can't do. But the bit I don't like very much is this testing window where you're trying different things out and you're pushing the boundaries and the limits. So how do you know? Because surely you've got to push the boundaries and the limits to know how far you can go with it. But how do you know when to pull back from that and then when to just push harder? Well, you know, we rely a lot on the technical team because they're doing the really difficult studies to figure out what, what the, what the acceptable strain limits are on, on the, on the boat and the components. And we have a huge amount, a huge number of strain gauges on these boats to try and figure out just what loads they're under. And as we put the boat for its prices, we have inevitably end up with alarms going off constantly and you've got to figure out what alarms actually make a difference and you might actually need to stop the boat for and other alarms that you can kind of ignore. And we're constantly in a, in a communication loop with the engineering team to figure that out. So again, you know, team effort and you, you have faith. We, we, we have a huge amount of faith in our technical team, our engineering team that they, they understand the limitations of the boat and we've got a, you know, it's like being a test pilot, really. In those early days, you've got to figure out how hard to push and knowing that when someone tells you to stop, you need to stop. And that, that's that's how it works. But it's a, it's a fascinating challenge like that. And it's great. It's really neat in a way that... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You have to go through those processes and you're very reliant on the technical team and, and it's really their game at that point to make sure that you're developing, designing, developing, manufacturing a reliable package that then you can get on the water and start optimizing and try and get it to somewhere near 100% of what its design capabilities are. When was the last time that you scared yourself completely shitless on board one of these things? I don't know if I've been scared shitless. <laughs> um, the last moment that... The you know we we had we had an issue was we, when we capsized our test boat in in Palma, Mallorca last winter, and it wasn't necessarily being scared about going super fast or something like that, but it was a it was an incident that snowballed from a number of different for a number of different reasons that ended up with this crazy situation where the boat was was fully inverted or upside down. At that point, the front hatch of the boat had been taken off because we had to try and lower the, without getting too technic, technical, trying to, we were trying to control the, 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 the foil arms manually to try and keep the boat from, from going upside down. So that hatch came off just as the boat went over. So the boat was then sinking, taking water in the bow. And these boats are powered, or the test boats at least, are po- powered by by battery power or lithium-ion batteries. And you know, anyone that's an expert in lithium-ion batteries will tell you that they don't react that well to salt water. So we ended up with the boat fully upside down, sinking and on fire simultaneously. And that was a really, that was the most insane moment I think I've ever, I've ever been, and I've had, Unfortunately, I've had I've had a, a few moments in in my sailing career, but that was definitely the most insane. And trying to help manage that, and we had a, a safety diver. He wanted to go into dive into the front of the boat to try and put a, an airbag in there to stop the boat sinking. And at that moment, you're sort of trying to weigh up: should you know really should you let this guy go in there because it's there's plenty going on. You know, we don't know if the batteries are, are actually you know being dislodged or what what's flying around in the front of the boat and it's and it's sinking and you're going to really risk risk someone's life over saving a boat and yeah i there was a moment there where ultimately you you got to kind of make a decision and weigh up the odds of of what's important yeah thankfully martin who was a diver did an incredible job did what he was trained to do got in there got the airbag into the boat and was a big big reason why we managed to save the boat and and in a way the campaign because that test boat is critical to our learning and development so yeah that was that was a major major issue for for the campaign and you know it, it, all of these teams will have had their moments or they will have their moments through this america's cup you know we talked about american magic in the last cup that they, they had that major moment in the competition where they where they effectively wrote off their race boat. So you got to try and 
manage those, react to those, come back from those setbacks. And, you know, thankfully that wasn't, whilst it was a setback, it wasn't a, a campaign ending setback. Yeah. Grant Dalton, who's the, um, who's the boss of the Kiwi challenge said, if you're not breaking stuff, you're not probably pushing hard enough. And I think that there is some real truism, isn't there, in that, which technical sports must find across the board, whether it be Formula One or what you're doing. I remember when that happened, that event that you've just recalled happened, and I got a call from one of the media team to say, don't panic, they're all fine. <laughs> which point I was like, panic, what about? <laughs> and then turned on, turned on all the That's social helpful, channels to discover that, you know, the boat's sinking, it's on fire, people were underwater, don't worry, final line, everyone's fine. It's like, and there is, I guess there is this risk, there is this risk reward thing, isn't there? Taken to the most extreme of measures in, in a technical sport like yours. And, and you do have things to weigh up on a constant basis. Um, in terms of the countdown, which is now very much on to the next to the next cup um, and to next August when the whole thing starts. What happens before then, and where are the key moments in the campaign? Because we've already had Villanova, which was by your own admission an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> we should probably just touch on that. And then we've got coming up um, Jeddah, which is another prelim event in the AC40 boat, which will be the youth and women's cup boats when they race at, at the cup proper and then you've got the barcelona event which is the prelim regatta but that's in the ac 75 so that's a different sort of in my mind anyway that's sort of a different thing altogether um but what what is it in your mind and how important is it to redress the balance of a disastrous villanova with a good jeddah Yeah, so if you look at the timeline between now and, and the Cup, which, which, like you said, starts in, in, in late August next year, we have another preliminary event, which is which is held in the AC40, which is a, a one-designed version of, of the America's Cup boat, a smaller version, 40 foot. The, the America's Cup boat is, is obviously 75 foot. So that will be another opportunity for teams to come together, primarily fleet racing, which is very different to the America's Cup where we will be match racing. So it'll be one and one. And so different format of competition. Ultimately, those races don't count for anything. They don't even count for, uh, you know, points for the, for the challenger series, but they are important in terms of, you know, a, a team's confidence. You know, you, you know, talked about the design and technical teams working incredibly long hours, hard hours to to put the best possible boat they can on the water, and they want to know that they've got a sailing team that can perform and can compete at the highest level. So that that is really what counts there. And of course, it's a great opportunity for the cup to showcase its the competition in, in the build up to the to the main event. So that will take place in December. Then the big deal will be for boats getting, for teams getting their race boats on the water. That's the 175 foot that they can build in these campaigns. Those boats will go in the water sometime late spring, early summer next year. And then there'll be this rush of a build up to the competition, like I say, in, in, in late August. And that will be a really critical time. So the, the first preliminary regatta in the 75 footers will tell us a huge amount about who's going to be successful or not in this America's Cup because other than the, the Kiwis who are straight into the finals, the other teams, ourselves included, if you're not 
fast, if you're not competitive at that preliminary regatta, you've got very little time to do much about it. And you, you, you frankly, you, you won't, you, 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 you won't be, you very likely won't get, even get to the final. So that's, that's going to be a big moment for all of the teams. And you, you know, you touched on our performance in, in Villanova, the first preliminary event where we were last. I think it's the first time I've ever been last in a one design class of boats. So it's not something that any of us in the team, myself included, take lightly. There are a number of reasons without going into details or trying to make excuses for that. But ultimately, we didn't sail well enough. That's, that's really the biggest, biggest factor behind that. And it's, you know, something that, like I said, doesn't sit well with the team. So we're putting, we're putting focus into how do we improve our performance in that one design boat for the event in Jeddah in, in early December, but at the same time, not taking our eye off what's important in terms of the continued development of our test boat T6 and the rest of the campaign to give ourselves the fastest AC75 next summer. So those are the balances that all of the teams are up against and, you know, we're no different. All the other teams will be trying to find that, that balance. And for us, it's important that we put on a better show in Jeddah. But it's also really important that we have a fast boat for the Cup next summer. What was your team talk like after that Villanova weekend where things didn't go according to plan? What did you say to everyone? Well, it was important to, it was really important for us as a team to identify that, that, you know, that there were a lot of reasons behind it. But, you know, we can't look for excuses. Ultimately, it wasn't acceptable. Yeah, no, no professional sports team is going to be accepting we're, we're, we're finishing in last place. I mean, that's just if if you were happy, if you if you were happy with that, what's the saying? If you if you if, if you um, show me someone's happy with losing, show me a loser. I mean, that's that's just it's just it's in none of our makeup. So yeah, we we were really pissed off. Uh, of course, but at the same time, trying to react in the right way. If we just threw our toys out of the pram and said, right, okay, we're going to ditch everything else. And all we're going to do is focus on the AC40 between now and the event in Jeddah. That would be a big mistake because we'd be taking our after ball from the testing and development of what's ultimately really going to make the biggest difference is, is having a fast boat or not next summer. So yeah, that, that's, that's the challenges of the, of, of, being in these teams and leading these teams is you gotta, you gotta find that balance and, and keep everyone, you know, on point and focused. You know, it's not, it's certainly not a blame culture. You know, if any, if anyone's to blame out of that, it would, it would be myself. And, but, you know, we, we take it on the chin and actually use it as motivation to, to really work harder and come back stronger and, do a better job next time around. Just finally as well, who's to say that, here's a thought, your strategy is right and everyone else's is wrong because everybody else is focused on the AC40 as their test boat as opposed to the direction that you guys have taken, which is all about T6. So how about that as a thought? Yeah, I mean, you, you could make that argument, but, I, I you know, I think that's probably... Um, <laughs> That's probably slightly roasted into spectacles because, you know, 
the, the, all of the teams have their different approaches to testing and development. It just so happens that ourselves and Luna Rosa didn't go down the route of using the AC40. We decided to build our own test boats, rightly or wrongly. You know, time will tell whether that's the right thing to do. But I, you know, I certainly wouldn't use that as an excuse as to as to why we underperformed in, in Villanova. We just clearly didn't put enough time into that boat. And yeah, I, 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 I think that the key always to the cup is developing the fastest boat. Pretty much in the history of the cup, the fastest boat has always won. But funnily enough, it's always tended to have the best sailors in it as well, because they've been a big part of helping to develop that boat. And, and, you know, that's what you're looking for. So yeah, we've, we've learned a lot from that. We've, well, not a lot. We've learned a huge amount from that, actually. As frustrating as it was, we've, we've, it's really shown us in some areas where we, you know, we were potentially not, not up to speed and we were lacking. And that's undoubtedly going to help us for the cup next summer. As again, as frustrating, as difficult, as painful as that was. So we can be stronger for it as long as we really, you know, learn from those issues and, 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 and adapt to that and, and come together as a team, which I'm, I'm confident that we will do. So final question is, uh, with less than a year to go, is it too early to say if you can win it or not? Yeah, we I, honestly, you, if you asked anyone, any, anyone, you know, in, in these other teams, they'd be lying if they said they, they, they were confident they were going to win or, or if they had any idea. Ultimately, they're, they're all the six really strong teams. Of course, the Kiwis are in the hot seat because they're in the final. But it, it's going to be one of the most hotly contested America's Cups ever. And I honestly can tell you, all you can do is focus on your own team. Keep an eye on the opposition, of course, but focus on your own team, trying to get your program right, trying to execute, keep everyone together, keep pushing hard, keep working hard. And, you know, just make the most out of every day on the water and make the most out of the eventually the race boat and bring it together at the right time so not that dissimilar to any other sport really but just quite quite a lot more complex and a lot more expensive we're going to deep dive for eight nine ten minutes on one of the areas we kind of touched on in our chat that we just had about the America's Cup and being a year out from the start of the competition one of the things I think is kind of interesting and it's sport business relating topic always is the leadership piece, right? And so many people that we talk to in our podcast talk about how you learn so much more from failure than you ever do from success. But what about when you relate that to leadership and leading people in the dark days as well as the good times? Because, I mean, unfortunately, (laughs) we come to this cup off the back of two previous ones where we haven't been um, I'm not going to say lucky enough. That's not the right phraseology, but we haven't been able to convert those into wins. So how do you manage? How do you motivate? How do you inspire? How do you continue to lead people and, and still keep them up for the challenge of doing what is quite a difficult job, which is to win the America's Cup? I think sheer bloody mindedness and, and determination is, is the only way, really. I mean, I, I, 
I've been fortunate to be with many different professional sailing teams. Some have been really successful and others not. And, and also to, to have spent time with some really successful sports people and, and, and sports managers. And I think the one thing they will all tell you, and you hear it a lot, is that winning is the easy bit and it's losing is the hard bit. And that's where as a manager, as a leader, you really have to step up and take responsibility. And it can be very, very difficult because you know that there are people in the team looking at you, looking at the team, questioning decisions that have been made, reactions to an issue, whether the team ultimately ultimately can be successful or not. And you have to, ultimately, you have to sort of reach quite deep into your soul and believe that the team can be successful and, and that you can turn it around. And it doesn't happen overnight. It really doesn't. And, uh, you know, the sport that fascinates me in all of this is, is football because the manager is the easiest person to, to get rid of in a football team. You're not going to get rid of the owners that easily. You're not going to get rid of the star players because they're getting paid way too much money to be able to <laughs> get rid of them, not least in the short term. So the manager is, is more often than not the scapegoat, which is actually the worst thing you can do because it's that person who should be leading the team out of whatever shit fight they're in. And, um, and, and often they don't get the opportunity and it takes time. It really, ta- it really takes time to turn things around. So patience, determination, you've got to believe in yourself, believe in the team, and you've got to show, show humility. You know, when mistakes have been made, you've got to stand up and say, take, take responsibility for that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Ultimately, that's, that's where you earn your money is when the chips are down and you've got to try and pull things around. What's been the the toughest bit, would you say, about leading a team? What's the hardest challenge of it all? Uh, for me, initially, it was really understanding people, and I, you know, I'm I'm sure I didn't do a brilliant job in the early days of of leading a team of understanding how to get the best out of people. And I was really fortunate; we had a, a, a few great people that that came in and helped me from a management perspective. Certainly, Martin Whitmarsh was, was a great person to learn from coming out of leading a Formula One team for many years with McLaren Formula One team. And one of the amazing things about Martin is that he could take a person into a meeting and put his arm around them and, 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 and put them in the most uncomfortable situation, effectively, you know, change their career or their role in the team. And they'd walk out of that room thinking that he'd done the most amazing favor and how wonderful <laughs> life was. And that's, <laughs> that's an incredible skill that you need to be able to do that. You need to, you need to be able to show people that you're supporting them, you know, and it might not be actually the, the right thing for, for them personally, but that they're really supporting the team and it's the right thing for the team. And also in their, in that individual's future development and growth and, you know, that, that was a real eye opener for me in terms of building sort of camaraderie in a team and, and, and individuals within that team. So yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with some incredible leaders, you know, 
again, people like Russell Coots and Grant Dalton in, in the sport of sailing, very different personalities, but in their own way, incredible leaders who've been hugely successful. And you just, you learn a little bit from every, every one of them and hope you hope that you, you can sort of in some way impart that, that experience onto your own team and, and, and do a half decent job. And how honest should you be as a leader with a team about where they're at and where they're going and, and sort of when to give people kick up the backsides and when to put your arm around them? Because how, how do you separate the sort of the private feelings that you may have or harbor about a situation versus the public ones? I mean, the most obvious interpretation of that is if you've got to go and stand up and do a press conference and the chips are down and something's gone wrong and you've got to put the public face on and then behind the scenes you feel very differently about a situation and that message is communicated in a different way privately with the people that you're working with. But also you've got this piece of how much do you share of how you really feel about the situation with everybody? Do you just have a couple of people at senior management level that you confide in? Um, or is it a much broader open dialogue? I mean, how do you approach that? Like that that's totally dependent on the situation. I mean, you, some, 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 some instances, you know, I mean, the big thing is that the you know people in the team are, are, are they're smart. You know, they they get it, they understand it. So you can't bullshit them. You know, they they know what's going on, and so you, you you have to be honest. And actually, in many ways, similar with the media. I mean, that they're, they're not dummies, these people. So I think honesty is genuinely the best way forwards. But it's the spin that you sort of put on that honesty, and sometimes it's important to really lay it down and say to the team, you know, we're in a hole here and everyone's going to have to seriously pull together to get ourselves out of it. And other instances might not require that because it might be something that was genuinely down to actions of another party. That's nothing you can really do about. And you're on the right path. The team's doing a good job and you say, Hey, look, we just got to take that on the chin, keep doing what we're doing. It'll come around. So it, it really depends on the situation, but that's again, that that's where you need, you need to have good judgment. You also need good people around you who can help you make those calls and back you up. And, uh, you know, the, t the team, you know, when, when you're in tough times, that's when you find out whether you've got a team or you don't have a team. So if you were saying to people one, one piece of leadership advice, if you were giving one piece of leadership, um, yeah, advice, what, what would that look like? What would that be? You gotta have, you, it sounds obvious, but you gotta have really good people. You have really good people around you, certainly in a, in a, in a leadership position who are supporting you. You can rely on, you know, to set the strategy and to go out and to, to, to run the team, run the campaign. And you have to trust those people. They have to trust you. And if you can, if you can create that environment, then whatever gets thrown at you, you've got a much better chance of dealing with it and, and being successful. So. Yeah, I think I think one of the best pieces of advice I, I ever had was actually not from someone who's necessarily a sports person, but Charles Dunstan, who's an incredibly successful businessman and and supported me a lot in my, my sporting career. And when we, we set up the America's Cup team, 
the British team in 2014. And the first thing he said to me has been that the moment that you realize that by having people around you that are smarter than you is actually going to help you and it's going to help the team. That's when you've really understood what leadership is about. And he's absolutely right. Perfect. Thanks, darling. It's all about performance, people. Get it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.